Welcome to the Joe Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Don Gonzalez. Joe Catholic is a lay apostolate formed in the fall of 2004 and then revamped to its current structure in the spring of 2009. According to the Second Vatican Council, the function of the apostolate is to influence the temporal order and cultural milieu into conformity with Christian ideals. It's in that light that our mission is to help equip everyday, ordinary people with the tools to evangelize and answer the universal call to holiness. We hope that this podcast helps do that and encourages you to pursue a deeper understanding of our rich Catholic faith. Merry Christmas and welcome back to the Joe Catholic Podcast. First, we'd like to just address the fact that we haven't been able to upload any episodes in the past couple of weeks. And we apologize for the inconvenience and promise that we're going to get back on track. In fact, in the next few days, we hope to still upload all the commentaries for the Advent Sunday Gospel readings for the second, third, and fourth Sundays of Advent, as well as the Navari Bible Commentary for the Nativity Mass. Today, we'd like to talk about the meaning of the Incarnation and close out by asking or addressing the question of when does Christmas end? So on to the question, what is the Incarnation? The simple answer is Jesus is the Incarnation, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is the Word made flesh, as we can see in John chapter 1 verse 14. And according to the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 86, the Incarnation describes, quote, the union of the divine and human natures in the one divine person of the Word. End quote. The compendium continues by saying, quote, To bring about our salvation, the Son of God was made flesh and became truly man. Faith in the Incarnation is a distinctive sign of the Christian faith. End quote. In other words, to be Christian means to believe that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. When we recite the Nicene Creed, we profess our faith in Jesus Christ as true God. When we profess the Nicene Creed, when we profess the Nicene Creed, we confirm this belief that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And we say that at the point when we acknowledge that he is the son of God and that he is begotten not made consubstantial with the Father. And in doing so, we are confirming that he was made true man, and he is our brother, and simultaneously, he is our God. So to refer back to the compendium number 89, the church confesses that Jesus Christ is true God and true man with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, not confused with each other, but united in the person of the word. Therefore, in the humanity of Jesus, all things, his miracles, his suffering, and his death, must be attributed to his divine person, which acts by means of his assumed human nature. The compendium concludes by quoting St. John Chrysostom from the Byzantine liturgy. O only begotten Son and Word of God, you who are immortal, you who deigned for our salvation to become incarnate of the Holy Mother of God and ever virgin. You are one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father 
and the Holy Spirit. Save us. So one point I'd like to make is that during the Nicene Creed, and I think this is important for us to talk about, uh, I know because we have family members that are Protestant and who have attended Mass with us, and I think they mistakenly believe, if you'll recall, that during the Nicene Creed, one of the things that we do is when we say that Christ was born of the power of the Holy Spirit, of the Virgin Mary, during that 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 moment in the Mass, or that moment in the Creed, we bow. And during the Christmas Mass, we do more than bow, we actually genuflect at that point. And I think that for an outsider, sometimes it would be easy for someone to misunderstand that this is an acknowledgement of Mary. But in fact, it's more than an acknowledgement of Mary. It's an acknowledgement of the incarnation of Christ. And it's at that pivotal moment in the creed that we are professing our belief that Jesus is fully human and fully God. And that's why we bow during ordinary time or other times of the year. And that's why we genuflect during the Christmas Mass. So as Christ became incarnate, my argument is is that he is the ultimate sacrament. So as I was taught by my professors at Ave Maria, Whenever we talk about something, we should define our terms. So let's define what a sacrament is. A sacrament is defined as a sensible sign instituted by Jesus Christ by which invisible grace and inward sanctification are communicated to the soul. Well, Jesus is God made present among us. He is the ultimate grace made visible. Jesus is the ultimate sign of God's salvation in the world the center and the means of God's encounter with us. Therefore, he is the original sacrament. And the sacraments reflect this mystery in two ways. First, all of the sacraments make use of visible matter to demonstrate an invisible grace. Additionally, all of them pour out of Christ's side. Each either initiates union with him or confirms and solidifies that relationship. For example, in baptism, We are initiated into the body of Christ, and we are prepared for eventual confirmation and reception of the body and blood of our Lord in the sacrament of the Eucharist. So, if if you've visited our YouTube channel, you will have probably seen a previous talk that I have given on the Incarnation. And in that talk, and one of my running themes with regard to studying the gospel is that there are no wasted moments in the gospel. That the gospel is the story of Christ. That it is his story, to use a play on words from history. And that every aspect of his life has meaning. Whether it be when he sobbed at the death of Lazarus, or when he is tired, or when he becomes angry at the chainsmakers at the temple, and all the other times where he demonstrates his humanity. I would contend that there is one other way that we can reflect upon his life, and it's those hidden 30 years of his life. Because of the 33 years of Christ's life, 30 of those years were spent in silence and obscurity, and in submission and in work him working at the house, working in the shop with Joseph. And 
These hidden years aren't a period of darkness, but rather they illuminate for us the meaning of our own ordinary life. He adds grace to our hidden lives. Everything that Christ did was with meaning. And since he was perfect in every way, all of his actions had meaning. So I'd like to think, you know, that as a young man, he helped Joseph, or a boy, he helped Joseph in the shop, and that could include sweeping, cleaning up whatever materials were left on the floor as a result of Joseph's work, that uh, he even had to take out the trash. That's one of my favorite sayings at the Catholic, the Joe Catholic workshops is that, you know, for us, even, you know, one of my, one of my least favorite tasks as a husband is to take out the trash. And so I can even find an opportunity to offer that up, to sanctify that simple act of taking out the trash by recalling that Christ probably took out the trash for Joseph and Mary as well. And in that way, so the point I'm making is that in this way, in all these ordinary circumstances of his hidden life, it's a demonstration that the incarnation isn't just about God humbling himself to become man, but it's also him raising up the nature of man. And if you want to learn more about this, I really recommend that you read the Vatican II document, Gaudium et Spes. It wouldn't be one of my talks without referring to St. Jose Maria Escriva. And he talks in great detail about this notion of Jesus's hidden years. St. Jose Maria refers to this in Christ is Passing By, point number 14. And if you bear with me, this is pretty significant, so I want to share the, the, the length of the quote. Whenever I preach beside the crib, I try to see Christ our Lord as a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying on straw in a manger. Even though he is only a child, unable to speak, I see him as a master and a teacher. I need to look at him in this way, because I must learn from him. And to learn from him, you must try to know his life. Reading the gospel and meditating on the scenes of the New Testament, in order to understand the divine meaning of his life on earth. In our own life, we must reproduce Christ's life. We need to come to know him by reading and meditating on scripture, and by praying, as we are doing now in front of the crib. We must learn the lessons which Jesus teaches us, even when he is just a newly born child from the very moment he opens his eyes on this blessed land of men. The fact that Jesus grew up and lived just like us shows us that human existence and all the ordinary activity of men have a divine meaning. No matter how much we may have reflected on all of this, we should always be surprised when we think of the 30 years of obscurity which made up the greater part of Jesus' life among men. He lived in obscurity, but for us, that period is full of light. It illuminates our days and fills them with meaning, for we are ordinary Christians who lead an ordinary life, just like millions of other people all over the world. That was the way Jesus lived for 30 years, as the son of the carpenter. There followed three years of public life spent among the crowds. People were surprised. Who is this, they asked. Where has he learned these things? For he was just like them, 
He had shared the life of ordinary people. He was the carpenter, the son of Mary. And he was God. He was achieving the redemption of mankind and drawing all things to himself. I believe that this quotation from St. Jose Maria provides us with a framework to draw meaning from our daily work, even the menial task. Like I mentioned earlier, and I've said countless times, this includes taking out the trash or unloading the dishwasher. This also includes the relationships we keep, like honoring our parents. It also means that there are opportunities for sanctification in the way that we maintain our friendships. We look in Scripture, we see that Jesus had many friendships, but none were better chronicled in Scripture than that that he had with his friends in Bethany, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. For more on this, you can see this relationship between that family in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of John's Gospel. Scripture also depicts how Christ teaches us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 15. And finally, his passion, death, and resurrection demonstrate that God can and does permit suffering to draw out a greater good. We see this explained in the Catechism, paragraph number 312. In time, we could discover that God and his almighty providence can bring a good from the consequences of an evil, even a moral evil caused by his creatures. It was not you, said Joseph to his brothers, who sent me here, but God. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. From the greatest moral evil ever committed, the rejection and murder of God's only Son, caused by the sins of all men, God, by His grace, that abounded all the more, brought the greatest of goods, the glorification of Christ and our redemption. But for all that, evil never becomes a good. So I hope that gives some perspective uh, and just a little hint of what the Incarnation is all about as we continue through this Christmas season. And I don't like to talk about that. It's only been a couple of days since we celebrated the Christmas mask, and already we see people taking down lights, taking down decorations, and moving on to the next holiday. But contrary to what you might be seeing out there, Christmas is not over. You know, I can recall a couple of Christmases ago that Stacy and I were coming home while it was snowing from my mother's house early one Christmas evening, and we had to stop at a local Walgreens. And while I was standing in the checkout line, I'll remind you, this was Christmas night, the store clerks were on ladders removing the Christmas decorations from the ceiling above the register. When I said something to the cashier, his response was that they've been up for two months. And my response was, maybe that's part of the problem. Well, then yesterday, I joined my son for dinner at a local wing stop, and the cashier wished us a Happy New Year. And I responded by saying, Merry Christmas. And he said, Christmas is over. Well, I use this as an opportunity to let him know that we are actually in the period of Christmas time, and that, at the very least, Christmas extends for 12 more days. We actually called this season Christmas Tide, and the season of Christmas isn't actually over until the Feast of the Epiphany. 
and liturgically the church calls this as i said the church calls this season christmastide which extends from midnight of christmas eve to the feast of the epiphany which traditionally was held on january the 6th and this is why we celebrate the 12 days of christmas now many cultures especially those in latin america celebrate the epiphany which is also known as the feast of the three kings or dia de los reyes as the day that they exchange gifts in fact in our family we have an annual tradition of getting together with our adult children and their families for a mexican dinner and exchange of gifts i especially love it because it's also my baptism day and we like to celebrate those in our family as well i'd like to just conclude that saying that as for me and my house we're going to celebrate christmas season until the traditional conclusion of the feast of the presentation of the lord or the Candlemas, which is on February the 2nd. In a later podcast, I'm going to talk about the multiple presentations of the Lord, as I will contend that there are at least three and possibly four of those. Well, we hope that you continue to enjoy this Christmas season and continue to reflect upon Christ entering the world. And I'd like to leave you with the thought of, as we enter into the week preceding the new year, contemplate Christ's incarnation. Read the scriptures and see how Christ's life parallels our ordinary life. Reflect on those ordinary things that we do daily and think about how Christ must have done them. You know, there used to be those little uh, wristbands that people wore that was WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, think about that. What would Jesus have done? How How did he do the simple task of life? And how does that bring sanctity into our own lives? Well, may you continue to have a blessed Christmas, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like us on your preferred podcast listening platform. Also, please consider financially supporting our podcast by making a monthly contribution of $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99. You can do so by clicking the purple button at anchor.fm slash Catholic. If you would like to see show notes or learn more about the Joe Catholic Apostolate, please go to our website, thejoecatholic.org. Thanks again for listening to the Joe Catholic Podcast.